Really True Fiction is a podcast exploring famous stories to discover the wisdoms, lessons, insights, and ideas therein. Be advised that there will be heavy spoilers for whatever story we are discussing in this episode, as well as potential spoilers for other stories. Check episode notes or social media posts for additional spoilers. Please note that this podcast contains so many bad words and so many crude observations. If this is not your jam, please don't bring the toast. Another episode of Really True Fiction. This is Luke Mason. And this is David Parker. And we are here today to talk to you about The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. A great book. <laughs> one of the best. This was one of the very first books that I read to do as an episode for this. Yes. And when it was I... also one of the first books I read to do as an episode. <laughs> yeah. <for this. laughs> so it's a good thing we're finally getting around to it, hey? <laughs> yes. Yes. So it was first published in 1876. And the version that we read, the printing, is uh, Simon & Schuster, I think 2009. So, an updated, but... And they, uh, you know, the, the good old puritanical folk in America tried to ban it because it was teaching children to be degenerates. When it first came out? Yes. Oh, yeah. No. Well, mm-hmm. um, when you look at all of the targets, Mark Twain... So, yeah, Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain. You look at all of his targets, it's not... A huge surprise at the puritanical It's, it's almost like he was writing a book trying to get it banned. <laughs> well, that's uh, how comedy works, I suppose. Yeah, it's like uh, South Park. Yeah. <laughs> Modern day South Park. Or <laughs> past South Park, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a past day Modern, Modern day, day South, South Park. Park. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we can't make it any more clear than that. So this this is our first return to a book since our inaugural episode. So it comes with the challenges of remembering <laughs> all of the parts of the book. I think we take good notes, but it's still tricky to remember everything that happens, so hopefully it'll work out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to we're going to focus on the characters and what they taught us more than the the plot summary. <laughs> yeah. Would you say this book counts as a novel? It's more it's got some vignettes. It's it's like a bun- it's like collected short stories, I think. With all the same characters. Yeah. There is a kind of It's almost like a serial. Like it's like a a TV show. Yeah, but there is a kind of overarching narrative. Like, there are... There's themes that are definitely throughout there, it. And there are some chapters that seem to go back a little bit to the grist of the story, which is this Indian Joe character. Yes, he, and, he plays and, a role in a lot his, of... The um, villain, the main villain, yeah, one might say. Yeah, the main villain, and how there's the scene... Again, spoilers for all of the adventures of Tom Sawyer. <laughs> there's a scene in the graveyard where... Tom and Huck witness the um, murder of someone. I think his name is Matthew. Well, and it was Injun Joe who did it. So. And then blamed it on someone else. And then who was Tom, drunk. Yeah, who was drunk. And Tom and remember. Tom and Huck actually take care of him when he's in jail, bringing him food. And because they know that he didn't actually do it and that he's been falsely accused. And they end up actually saving his life. Injun Joe, as they call him in the book, runs away. It's, it's a very. Uh, period piece in the sense that there's absolutely no political correctness in this book there is a the overarching story really is this tom and huck well tom tom mostly a little bit of huck's relationship 
to this Injun Joe character who eventually finds out that they know so their lives are in danger, but they need to tell the people of the town that they live in that this happened, that this murder happened, and so that's, well, and then, and then that's he, kind of the story. Well, and then he reappears, right, later, and it becomes a huge problem and ends up dying in a cave because for, for various reasons, but... I mean, this story is very winding, right? There's there's a lot of, like, I'd time gaps like between... The Mississippi River. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's a lot of, like, time gaps between chapters. You're right, it is very vignette-ish. Every chapter is kind of its own little short story about tom and what he does which consequently makes really good out loud reading for kids which is how i first heard this story my mother read it to me and you can you can get once through one story and then wait till the next time right you're not on the on a cliffhanger and which can happen in some books but like probably an abridged version or the actual no she read the full thing yeah. oh wow yeah. cool because i remember seeing when i was a kid like the abridged for children version yeah no this was when i was probably like seven or eight and mom read the whole thing to us oh wow yeah, yeah that's cool i mean i've always known about tom sawyer because his name pops up in pop culture all the time i think he there was a do you ever see the movie the league of extraordinary gentlemen yes yes i did <laughs> right yes, yeah uh, there was a tom sawyer one of the characters in there was tom sawyer he was kind of like the american superhero <laughs> before captain <laughs> america really, i guess i mean he does become a bit at the end like it sounds like he's going to be in the military he's going to become a respectable gentleman He's he's got wealth beyond most of the town's wildest dreams. Right. Well, and he's certainly a towering figure in American folklore. He's a one of the strongest memes to ever come out of American literature. So maybe maybe one of the first truly American heroes or of literary heroes. I can't really think of a earlier one. Well, and certainly not one in a comedic fashion. Yes, he's definitely the first American comedic hero. Yes, which really means Mark Twain is the first American comedic hero. <laughs> yes, exactly. I which which is not his real name, Mac, you find out. I could talk forever about Mark Twain and just how grateful I am that he existed and the things that he wrote. Because I mean, his famous works are Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, The Adventures Thereof. He also wrote um, The Prince and the Pauper, which is a great story. I remember there's like a Disney version of Mickey Mouse of Prince and the Pauper. And he also, I believe he did, did he not write A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court? I, I think, think he probably like, did, yeah. yeah. It sounds like what he, something he would write. And he wrote other. He wrote a lot of like shorter stuff. And he's he, he also has, if you ever want to just uh, spend some time laughing and just being so satisfied, just search mark twain quotes oh yes he's he's, he's <laughs> the king of pith and and very he he wields irony like a sword yeah like he was a, uh, a fine he, he was the most refined fencer of wit and irony and i think really started the american american love affair with wit and irony yes, arguably because it's not really a, it doesn't play into other uh, literary genres, I would say. Yeah, and so, I mean, I would say, like, I we've talked about this before, obviously, one of my other favorite authors ever is Kurt Vonnegut, but I don't think you have Kurt Vonnegut able to quite have the same presence without a Mark Twain. Vonnegut's style being so wit-oriented and scathing and sardonic. He goes farther, I think, than Mark Twain did, but it's, Mark Twain started that process in American literature, and so I really am grateful and... Tom Sawyer's great read. Probably the most famous 
scene in Tom Sawyer and the scene that there's definitely parodies of it in the Simpsons I've seen and like just in movies and stuff is the fence painting scene. I think it's the scene that everyone knows about, even if they have never read I think Tom it's, Sawyer. Yeah, literally the scene that when people think of Tom Sawyer, that's the scene that they think about. And we're definitely like, it's a perfect setup to kind of what he's like, right? Because he uses just the most basic form of reverse psychology because he's been tasked to paint this fence and I think it was his aunt asked yeah, he him lives, to do it. He lives with his aunt. Yeah, his um, aunt Polly. And she's asked him to paint this fence, and he obviously... How old do you think Tom is? Does it ever say? I think he's in grade, like... Because he's doing sums, and he's and he's writing out scripture verses. I think he's got to be in, uh, like, grade five or six level. Yeah, he's, he seems like he's 12. Yeah, he's, right? young, he's yeah. young enough... That that like things that mat really matter to really young people still matter to him, but he's also old enough to, to have, be falling in love, right? And to have some wiles about him. Oh yeah, yeah. Right? He's, he's so. not. Yeah, he's lo- he's lost his innocence, but he hasn't yet gained wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not jaded. Yeah, exactly. There's not a yeah. So he's um like this. So it's just hilarious because he uses the most basic forms of reverse psychology on all the other kids in the neighborhood who he basically tricks them into painting the fence for him by saying he'll he like it's like he he originally is just painting it himself and like whistling and having such a good time well yeah he at first he's like in despair that he has to paint this fence because he thinks it's going to take him forever and aunt polly has assigned this task and all he wants to do is go play with his friends and he's like i'm never going to be it was going to take me all day and i mean He's a bit of a lazy character. Well, he's he's a 12-year-old kid who yeah. doesn't want... He's got a plan for the day, which includes a blank slate. Yeah. <laughs> the, the plan and, and, is and no one plan. plan is he's got to like, have his other little kids that are his minions fight against another in some yeah. fake war. And, but now he's got a chore, and chores are boring. And so he's like he's feeling that downcast feeling you get when, oh, my non-plans are ruined now because I have to do something I don't want to do. But he tricks the kids into painting the like he pretend he's such a good salesman right this is another this is what's so funny about Tom Sawyer he's, he's great at sales he is whistling enjoying it loving it and so the kids come up like oh what are you doing he's like oh man I'm getting to paint the fence it's so great and well originally the kids come up and they're like haha you have to do it yeah, sure. yeah. and like I'm gonna get to do all this thing but he just concentrates on it and he's acting like some great artist where he's like you know, being very careful and taking a swipe and then looking at it and making sure it's good and then going back in and like, like really selling, selling it. This. Oh, He's yeah. Selling yeah, this yeah, hard. Yeah. And if it's your first time ever reading Tom Sawyer, you wouldn't know this yet. But just given what we know about him and culture, like this is all planned. Like he is a hundred percent contriving, pretending like he's not noticing the people watching him, but obviously he's putting on a show for them and so that eventually what ends up happening is he tricks all these kids doing his work for him and giving him their toys where he like (laughs) he eventually he sells it so well that he gets to the point where the kids are like offering to give him like their marble or their slingshot they're literally like bidding to be able to have the pleasure of so not only does he outsource his work to other people but he gets stuff from them to do it it's just it's like it's remarkable that there's a lesson here there's a lesson here (laughs) so like this is a great introduction into i guess what you would call low stakes mischievousness (laughs) that tom sawyer kind of (laughs) shows he's definitely mischievous but 
there isn't a whole lot of like major consequences attached to it. So since the stakes are kind of low, it's not like any of the kids lives are ruined by now having to paint the fence or being tricked into painting the fence. Well, the thing is they're not tricked into painting the fence. They're they're literally offering him things to paint the fence and then they feel pleasure in doing it simply because he's changed the paradigm on them. Sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh but I mean, he's obviously I would still say he's being mischievous. I mean, this is the 19th century version of trolling, essentially, <laughs> right? Like, he's trolling all these other kids. They don't even know they're being trolled. Yeah, <laughs> into, and, and, like, he'll get the credit from his aunt. from paint- well, so, She like, doesn't even believe that he's done it when he says exa- he's done. Of course, yeah. right? Like Because she knows what he's like. <laughs> like, you did the work? Come on. And I just was, like, thinking about that in, in the sense of, man, Tom is... So, there's a form of cleverness i guess especially in kids and young people that when you see what they've done even if it's like a little bit deviant or maybe even they've disobeyed you in some way or they haven't followed the spirit of your rule or something if they do it cleverly enough you're almost kind of proud of them even though they kind of trespassed on what you asked them to do and so like looking at oh tom you took all these kids toys and you got them to do your job for you but that actually took a lot of work and he earned social those toys in to a sense. How it's happening, right? Yeah, and so yeah. you, you can't help but be a little bit impressed right off the bat with Tom. Oh, right? for sure, he's he's got uh, the choix de vie, right? He's <laughs> I don't, I'm not familiar with the term. Oh, that's that that just like he's got this um, like love of living and this charisma about him that people just kind of flock to. That's that's oh, obvious. Definitely. Yeah. So with that fence scene, that's the first major scene. And then the other major relationship for Tom is that with Huckleberry Finn, who there's another very famous book. And in The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn is a very good secondary character who's in and out of a lot of the scenes. And in The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, which is actually a much more serious book than The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. So The Adventures of Tom Sawyer is written in third person. And Adventures of Huckleberry Finn is written in first person, which because is as any great author, you have to change your narrative uh, style, style yeah. in order to you know show your skill. And in Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, Tom is a good secondary character who helps out Huck. Huck is in the Adventures of Tom Sawyer more than Tom is in the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, but they're both in each other's books and they both play pretty significant roles. And if you've never read this, Huckleberry Finn or Huck is a pariah in this town he's his dad's a drunk and he doesn't really like the mothers don't like him because he doesn't really wash yeah i think his like huck's mom either died died in childbirth died in childbirth dad's a drunk doesn't give a shit about him and huck is uneducated dirty doesn't have to go to school so all of the boys are so envious of him because he doesn't have to go to school yeah he's he's like the 19th century missouri version of a waif like yeah, he, he's he's just kind of around, but he doesn't really do anything. And he's because he's got all of these things happening in his life. He's he is considered trouble or bad news. And so all the other parents in the town tell their kids to stay away from him. So, of course, this is the person that Tom befriends. <laughs> right? and, just, and obviously, what, when we're introduced to the story, has befriended like they're close yeah. already. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, the the genesis of the relationship happened before the story but it just becomes very clear oh okay tom is the kind of person who he so doesn't have time for the pettiness of the society and his neighbors it doesn't even occur to him 
to avoid someone that is disreputable, let's say, right? And I, I think one of the interesting things about this book for me is thinking about it in a historical context. Were people better to pariahs and, you know, childrens of drunks back then than now? I mean, I don't know. That's an interesting question because Huck doesn't seem to be really ostracized by the parents' dislike of him by the other children. The other children seem to really like Huck and like you see these lines like all the boys obviously wanted to hang out with him because their mother said no and exactly and i don't know if that's the the point of their rebellion and and i don't know if that's the case anymore right like it's like there there seems to be bullying and hierarchy in schools now i don't really know what's happening in schools as much anymore are children treated differently by other children based on their socioeconomic status now (laughs) uh (laughs) that question is beyond my ken (laughs) but yeah like huck's definitely not bullied so i don't know my answer is i don't know so i can't yeah it's just a, it's an interesting thought i'd totally love to hear yeah, what the like, listeners think even of that well because i mean there's a huge difference now in that public education is available and it's essentially compulsory right so there just wasn't a mech there wasn't like institutions or mechanisms to guarantee people like huck would get an education so he probably had a lot more mystery to his life or mystique that was appealing to a lot of the other boys but i mean the thing is he's i think he's a little bit older than tom so he's like a little bit older and so he's got this kind of again it's mystery to him that i think all the boys in his town find appealing and well uh, and he also has kind of the life they want because they hate going to school they exactly, don't like going to yeah, church yeah yeah so they they're, don't like they're, any of the, the the routine and ritual of their lives they they want to kind of just live and and a lot of them they don't really know huck at all so they actually just have this kind of idealized version of the in their minds of Huck. Of like, oh, this is the guy that doesn't have to do all of these boring things that we have to do. Doesn't have to go to school and get yelled at by a school teacher. Doesn't have to go get yelled at by a preacher. <laughs> doesn't have to be told that all of their impulses and thoughts are impure because this is a pretty puritanical town. He's just kind of free, right? And they don't see the uh, abuse from his father. They don't see... The, well, the, the, how the sorrow poverty, of losing a mother the, sor- the the poverty and like how he just doesn't have a capacity that they're getting through their education much as it's uh given very corporally yeah. <laughs> to yeah. them right so it, it is you know it's a clear little like oh careful about idealizing the lives of others because you have no idea oh for sure <laughs> but i also on. like another thing to think about and this is something that i think you and I can relate to more than maybe a lot of our younger listeners is there was a time before the internet and really before video games where, and this is a representation of hey, that we're not time. that old. We weren't before video <laughs> well, games. Well, no, but you know what I mean. Where Well, we weren't allowed to play as much video games as others maybe. But all people did was play outside and use their imagination. And like if you're a kid, you're not... I mean, maybe you're sitting inside reading books, but like book is the only access to like entertainment that you have. There's not even radio at this point. So it's a really cool, like if you want to go and and immerse yourself in an experience that is foreign to the modern paradigm, reading about kids back then, you're like, oh man, they had so much fun just playing around and, you know, going out to the woods. And they were allowed to like, we got Tom Sawyer always sneaking into his room late at night yeah like that doesn't happen anymore like your parents need to know where you are all the, world, the time the world is much too dangerous for that <laughs> yeah like you can't be getting scraped knees and... it, it, there is a there is a kind of fun irony in realizing that kids took 
way more risks when the world was much more dangerous than it is. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, yeah, it was a thought that I had. There's probably there's probably a significant amount of social science in that. That's interesting. But yeah, I mean, we're, this is a time when there's very little. It's not like there's hospitals everywhere. There's probably one doctor in the town kind of thing. So yeah, parental controls <laughs> also are like very lax. Like they're like, well, what are you going to do with your kids? You're going to... You yeah. can't put them in front of a TV. You can't give them a video game to play. Mm-hmm. Just let them run outside and hope they don't die. Yeah, so the thing that I really appreciate right off the hop with Tom is uh, if he were to be scored in the Big Five personality, I imagine he would score very high in the open to new experience category. Oh, yeah, he's right? very curious, So man. he's curious, and so he's he's open. So even though he's been told by everyone to not be friends with Huck, he... He treats Huck as an individual, and and even some of the other boys, unfortunately, like they can't quite do this yet. He, he it's it doesn't matter to Tom that Huck is impoverished and semi-orphaned. And he also thinks that that Huck has a lot of wisdom. Like when they yeah. talk about now, the wisdom that Huck has and the wisdom that Tom have are superstitions and like childhood. Right. I mean, we've all been there where you like believe things that are completely well. He kind of treats Huck both as a friend and as a kind of like mentor type. But it's funny because Tom also helps mentor Huck in some ways. But he it is. It's like he looks at Huck like kind of like an older brother. And yet there's no point ever where he talks down to Huck based on his social standing. There's only those little boy disagreements like, well, that's not how things work. Yeah, exactly. Because... Like when, when kids who don't really understand the nature of things try to figure out their own hypothesis for them. And there's <laughs> exactly. those arguments. But it's not like he doesn't, um, he's not disrespectful to Huck based on Huck's placement in the social hierarchy, right? Which to me is a massive point of humanity to not talk down to not treat worse people perceived to be in a lower standing than you because you know it's people (laughs) like it's i can't even put it more plainly than that and and there's so many other people in the town who do treat huck really bad like just as scum basically because of his social standing but tom never does yeah, and I think it's interesting to look at the uh, the rise of inequality too in the world, and how certain social stratas have got have just d- disappeared from uh, having anything in common anymore. You look at the world that Tom Sawyer inhabited; everyone went to the same church. The judge's kid went to the same school as Tom Sawyer, whose family's obviously not wealthy. I highly recommend Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance, which talks about this divide, but there's also Our Kids. There's a lot of books out there talking about how we used to be more connected than we are. And one of the things that I think is so important is to get outside of your bubble. If you're a lawyer, hang out with non-lawyers. If you're a doctor, hang out with non-doctors. If you're a plumber, hang out with lawyers and doctors. Like Society cannot function this stratified, tribalistic way in which I'm not even reading the same things anymore that other people are reading. And in, and in Tom Sawyer, we see people are living basically the same lives because there's not a lot of variance. I, I doubt a kid like Tom Sawyer would have even met a kid like Huck Finn in our world. No, that's a good point about the disconnect. And what's cool about Tom is that he's very much a unintentional connector in that he's not trying to connect people or things, but there's a particular charisma and curiosity and excitement to life that naturally attracts other people to him. And I really would say a big part of that is 
Like for me, when I see someone who, let's say, has potentially more social prestige, being kind and considerate and thoughtful to someone who would be perceived to have much less social prestige than them, that is, well, okay, why are you doing that? Because you actually value humanism more than social stratification. And there's so much of that in Tom. The other really big relationship that Tom has is with this Becky. His, yeah, well, his, and Joe. Let's it. not forget Joe. Well, Joe, yeah, but I think I think Huck and Becky are the two main big ones, at least the ones I took notes yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> and so just, I want to read a little line. Tom found himself writing Becky in the sand with his big toe. He scratched it out and was angry at himself for his weakness. <laughs> and so I just wrote, Tom has a good heart and is coming to terms with that, and it's not actually a weakness. He is, again, oh, we've talked about this before, but Mark Twain so, like every great writer, author, creator, humanizes their characters by giving them comprehensible and understandable flaws and the angst of a young boy who's first starting to understand feelings of romance and attachment to another person and then feels like that's not a manly thing to do and so he's upset at himself but he clearly is being guided becky's like the new girl in town i think and um there's some funny stuff that he does <laughs> to yeah, um, like it's, woo her, I yeah. suppose. And so I just was like, oh man, Tom's learning about first love and how he actually, like, he, he, th- what he thinks is weakness is maybe his first brushes with vulnerability, right? Because he hasn't really ever needed to be vulnerable before because he's, you know, he's a sprightly young kid who can take care of himself and has a lot of ability. It made an impression on me, the the thoughtfulness of Mark Twain's point there. I think his even description of, of the torment that, that Tom Sawyer went through after he first saw Becky and how he just knew he was in love and he just, he wanted to be loved in return and then, you know, trying to woo her at school and failing so miserably and realizing that maybe she didn't care about the things that he did, but then she likes him and there's this, it is so much the the meta drama of being in that age bracket of kind of the 12 to, to 20, maybe even where everything holds so much significance yeah. and you feel like this existential despair if they don't like you. And there's love- a reason why the impassioned emo songs are targeted to teenagers, right? It, well, yeah, I mean it, <laughs> and, and that makes sense because you feel those feelings. I like, and I love reading this book in that sense because it takes you back to like how significant those things felt and how you thought nothing Nothing else could matter as much as this. Yeah, I just had this thought just now as you were saying that, like so much of what's great about Tom Sawyer, and it's ostensibly because he's a kid, is that it's a book full of things that remind you of what things first felt like. Yeah, when they no, first happened 100%, to you, right? Yeah, yeah. And you get to kind of re-experience them through him. And it's such a beautiful thing, like the first feeling of, falling in love or like the first feeling of creativity even with that fence part uh you know (laughs) being creative the first feeling of making friends and like figuring things out about the world right and 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 how important that is like to almost everyone when it's happening and like one of my favorite scenes in the book is when he's playing with the with the bug with the pincers the big uh the beetle and the beetle ends up grabbing the dog's nose and it ruins the whole church service (laughs) but like 
I remember being obsessed with little things like Beatles or like, I remember when I was growing up, I spent an entire day collecting, we wanted to collect a hundred ladybugs and we spent like hunting for ladybugs all day and we ended up collecting a hundred ladybugs, but then we were so dumb and we put two grasshoppers in with them. (laughs) And by the next day, all the ladybugs were dead because they'd been jumping up and down trying to get out and they'd (laughs) kill all the ladybugs. But like, it's a weird form of ladybug torture. No, I know. It didn't, and it wasn't intentional, but like. I remember. Hopefully, Pete is not listening. <laughs> yeah, they're bugs. I don't know if they care about bugs, but <laughs> but I remember caring so much about getting to a hundred ladybugs, and like it was important. And you read about like the things that he was collecting and stuff, and it's like these are things that matter to children. Yeah, that as you get older, you lose the just joy in little. They're things. like the Pokemon cards before there were Pokemon cards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Instead, you got marbles. And, yeah, yeah, and, and, and jacks. Things and, and when I was a kid, it was Pogs. Yeah, you know. I remember and for Pogs, me, it was hockey yeah. cards. Uh, I had thousands of hockey cards because you know, good old Canadian boy growing up north of the border here, <laughs> uh, loving my Joe Sackicks and Steve Eisermans and oh, I got a Matt Sundin rookie card when he was still with the Nordiques, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. That was, yeah. um, and, and yeah, how Twain so brilliantly shows that drama out again with so much care, but also humor. And it's it's golden, right? And I think it's some of the best um, vignettes of of childhood because he gets into the the mentality of being a child so yeah. well. And Tom Sawyer being the best one, yes, it, it, best not morally ranked, but best as in so many attributes about him are I think what are so enjoyed by people. Tom has so many character attributes that I think are endearing to adults and. Even more so, not just because they are the obedient ones, but there are a few of the deviant ones that are the devil's charm kind of thing. It's like but it's spirited, de- spirited child, yeah, right? The, like, de- the devil light. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, one of the great scenes in the book that Tom really exemplifies his care and his deep good conscience is the scene where he saves Becky from the schoolmaster's wrath because she had accidentally knocked some ink onto one of the schoolmaster's textbooks. And the schoolmaster was super angry and was out for blood to find out who did it. And Tom said it was him or copped to it in some way. I can't remember exactly Well, and this is like it. the time of corporal punishment in yeah. schools. Like, you're going to get beat if, if you've done something like this. And he takes the blame. He says, yeah. I did it. And he, like, Tom knew that Becky had done it, but he could see the fear. I mean, this schoolmaster is vengeful and full of wrath. And Tom is seeing, oh my gosh, this great kid, Becky, who is scared out of her wits. Well, and- actually, at this point... They're fighting like they're 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 competing to to kind of destroy one another in the only the way that kids can, but like especially that, kids who probably have a crush on each well, other. Well, yeah, and like <laughs> there'd been this whole problem about who likes who and all this stuff. And he's like, does this thing, and she's like, this is the noblest thing that anyone's ever done. She sure. tells her her dad about it, and he's like, wow, she really likes this Tom guy. And well, because in the scene leading up to it, she's very scared. Right, she's she's trembling. She's got a lot of fear. Like she know, oh my gosh, this schoolmaster is gonna tear me a new butthole, kind of thing. Right? <laughs> I wonder if they ever had expressions. Like I, that I don't. I don't think day. so. Like I think that's more of a modern. <laughs> I want to know what that what torn out some new 
uh, I suspenders. I don't know <laughs> whatever it would be. Well, anyway, basically, she was going to get a whooping. Yeah, <laughs> and Tom, being very intuitive, Tom senses this, takes the blame, and it's it's like he's a strong spirit protecting a more delicate one in a moment where that the other spirit needed that protection. Well, and really, it's like that old-fashioned chivalry, right? Yeah. It's this idea of he he felt like he... And you know what? It's not as if Tom Sawyer hadn't taken whoopings before. Like, this is a fairly regular occurrence for Tom. So he's like, well, I know what it feels like, and I know I can take it, and she seems really terrified, so I'm just going to take it. Mm-hmm. And it's a good example of, like, in a big, serious moment, him doing something very selfless for someone else that he cares about that obviously made a big impact on her. And I think there are, you come across these kind of serious rubber meets the road moments in, in your days and how you can help people who really need, basically like how can you go help people who really need your help in a serious moment? Well, and, and I think the, the beauty of someone who senses that and wants to. Yeah, like, and I think the thing about this that makes such an impression on her, but also I think should just make an impression on everyone involved is he actually suffers for helping, right? It's not just like some of my time was used or... Kind of like Jesus did. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Right? Yeah, taking taking on the <laughs> sins of the world, right? It wasn't his fault. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, like, that means something to people. Helping people move, that's a great friend thing to do, and you should do that. And, you know, if someone, you know, needs some comfort after a breakup, that's also a good Driving thing. a friend to the airport. Exactly. All yeah. these things are good friend things to do. But if you're doing something for a friend that, like, seriously hurts you in the process, that's love. Like, that's the real thing. I can't remember exactly when the book this happens, but this this was the first part of the book where I'm I'm really starting to see Tom as a really deeply ethical person and all the more so because he hides it so well under his, you know, machinations and little connivings and plans, you know? And that's such a, that felt so great to hide this deep care in a person who seems so mischievous. Yeah. I mean, it's like kind of the picture and maybe I don't know if it was Mark Twain who painted this for us, but of the frivolity and mischievousness of youth and how beautiful that is, but that doesn't mean you lack character. Like, if you're a... It's as you're developing it. If you're kind of, you know... And it's like all of us have been in a situation where we just did things that were mischievous as kids or adults, and, like, we're not trying to hurt anyone, we're not doing anything bad, but it's kind of like one of the joys of life is to... Go out there and be a little mischievous. That doesn't mean you're... I guess what I'm getting at with that is it doesn't mean you have bad character. Yes, of course. Uh, Which is... It's some of the satire Twain is using against uh, the Puritans of his own time, which Tom Sawyer is on the surface. Everything that would piss off the pious. Yeah. (laughs) Which is why he's the hero. (laughs) Essentially, right? He's the person most hated by the people with rigid minds that aren't flexible to new ideas is generally the most interesting person to everybody else yeah no (laughs) absolutely and i think tom is one of the first versions of the eccentric that might not be the exact word i'm looking for to contain 
how Tom is, but Tom is a free spirit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think right? that's definitely and the way free spirits him. left to their own devices don't pay any heed to petty social norms. They pay heed to things like their mind and their principles and their values and their ethics. And I, that's, that's what Tom's doing. <laughs> and there's also a very humorous, as he's developing and blossoming this relationship with Becky in the school, he, <laughs> this is just great writing. He uses the truth to get himself in trouble. So he has to go sit with Becky. So he comes in late to school one day and the schoolmaster says, why are you late? And, or, or he, um, like the for I can't remember how, but he knows the punishment will be he has to sit with the girls, and it's gonna be he's gonna get to sit with Becky if he's punished. So he he doesn't make an excuse. He tells the truth. He's like, oh, I was actually talking to Huckleberry Finn <laughs> <laughs> uh, because he knows that the schoolmaster hates Huck. So <laughs> this Huck doesn't have to go to school. <laughs> and so he says, okay, well, yeah, that pariah, that social deviant, you have to go sit with the girls now. So he. <laughs> rather ingeniously uses the truth to incriminate himself so he can actually get what he wants. And I think he has great like, writing. And, and I think he writes on his chalkboard at this point, like, I have a secret to tell you. And she's like, ooh, and she gets really interested. What could this secret be? And the secret is that he already loves her, right? Yes. Like, this is this is adolescent passion at its best. And it seems to work. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> she, she she's excited about it. Yeah. Back to a thought with him and Huck is that one of the things that he does so well with Huck that I think is so is a, such a sign of a true friend and a good conscience and someone who's really out to help someone is that he talks to Huck and treats Huck in the way that Huck can understand and still grow from. So he doesn't talk down to Huck, but he talks to Huck at his level, both intellectually and conceptually what's happening. And I think he individualizes Huck so to help help Huck in the best way that Huck can be helped. And somehow he knows to do that already. Right? <laughs> like, well, he, it's like he's not okay, how do I want to talk? He's recognizing that Huck has like just kind of different needs than somebody else does based on his lack of education thus far in his life. And he instead of making Huck feel bad for that, he just works with it to help Huck on the next thing that they're doing together. And isn't that real friendship, right? Like it's if someone doesn't know something, you're not like, oh you don't know that or you condescend to them. You're like, oh, man, this is so cool. Let me tell you about it and get them excited about it, too. Or, I mean, with a great example is Robin Hood. Tom Sawyer loves Robin Hood. He's kind of his hero. And at one point, he's playing with Huck, and Huck's like, who's Robin Hood? And he's like, oh, you don't know who Robin Hood is? I got to tell you about him. He's so cool. As opposed to, you don't know who Robin Hood is? What's wrong with you? Like, are you some kind of loser? Like, it is a way better way to interact with people if you're excited about something or you love something, you shouldn't be, oh, you don't know about that thing? What's wrong with you? You should be... Inviting. Oh, man. Including. I, you're going to love this thing. It is so cool. Yeah, totally. I, it's And that's something Tom is so good at. He gets people excited. And just this thought of, okay, if someone doesn't have the same capacities as you do, intellectually, emotionally, socially, etc., you name it, right? instead but they're still they have a good heart and they just need more education maybe or need learning or just need more friendship to be authentic but not patronizing well those go hand in hand but to still meet someone at their level like that's actually i actually think that's trickier than it sounds i think it's a little bit harder and because you really have to focus on okay what is the best for this person 
I think you have to genuinely care about the person. Definitely. Right? Like you have to pay attention to the person so you so you actually know how to talk to them. You have to pay attention to their subtle reactions to the things you're saying. And I completely agree. Going to someone's level can even even saying those words can seem condescending, right? In a sense that you're descending to their level, but the truth is you're not descending anywhere. You are changing your paradigm in order to be able to communicate, which is like the best communicators will come to you in your medium into the, into the word using the words and the methodology that you understand. Yeah. It's just great pedagogy really, but also it's part of that soft heartedness that we talked about with people with hard minds and soft hearts is that Huck is a very sincere, earnest, fun loving person he just doesn't know as much. and In some areas, but he's seen a lot more shit yes, than Tom Yeah, he's has. got a lot. Yes, he's seen a lot of the darker sides of the world. But, well, there's the scene in, in Goodwill Hunting where the brainy, scholastic guy is just really berating and making fun of Ben Affleck's character based on just straight up intellect. He just doesn't know anything. He's a dumbass. He's essentially emasculating him in front of all these people. And then Matt Damon comes in and <laughs> makes just him look stupid, right? Him, yeah. But it's that idea of, oh, you could either use your intellect to belittle others or to figure out a way to help them with their next step too. And in a way that isn't patronizing because we all help each other in different ways. And so it's not like if I'm helping a particular person with a, a problem in that moment, I'm for all time the helper and they're the all time help the helped, right? It's it's a dynamic interplay. Well and I think you see this so much with Tom in that he's what I would call a a real leader. Because people just want to follow him because they love him and he takes care of them and he looks out for them and he cares about them. And I mean you we see this on the island when they run away to become pirates. And he, and he expects things from them. Yeah, right? yeah. Which is actually one of the best ways to make someone feel valued is to ask them to do something. Because, and th- there's all kinds of psychological studies on this, but doing things for people is not as great of a indicator of whether or not they feel positively towards you as if you, if they do things for you. Because then they automatically assume, well, I'm helping this person they're probably going to help me one day. And we see this with Tom. He's constantly getting people to do things, but then he's going above and beyond to help others too. Yeah, definitely. I want to shift gears a little bit here to talk about just something a little bit more broad that I got from this story and get your thoughts on it. So the real big dark narrative turn is the graveyard scene where, uh, I don't know, Tom and Huck were out to Well, they were going to go try to curse someone. (laughs) Or... I don't remember the it's exact a superstition details, but basically sure. it's a big superstition thing that they needed to do. They wanted to see if the devil would show up. I think it involved a dead cat. It did involve a dead cat. Something yeah. like that, yeah. right? And this is where they observe the murder. Injun Joe kills the guy and then blames the other drunk person. At a more representational level, this made me think of when the few moments in your life where the frivolity enters into literally a grave situation and how a lot of growing up is like I am clearly not a person who takes too much too serious right <laughs> and that's that true yeah. but there are still some things that I that I have like a, a, a kind of a reverence for I guess right and the graveyard is like I don't 
<laughs> when I'm in a cemetery, I don't make unnecessary noise. <laughs> Right, like yeah, I, and you're not just sitting there joking and laughing. It's a yeah. sol- more solemn place. Yeah, and it's not because I feel like I anyone else expects me to. It's because you know a cemetery represents remembrance and loss, and those are some of the deepest things in life. Like having to remember other people who are gone, and it's not just for me; it's for everyone else. So, you know, symbolically, <laughs> perfect. It's the same word, grave. Right, it's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah literally the same word. Where someone is laid to rest, and the and very important and deep and and serious. And I thought it was a really good narrative turn to have the boys bring their frivolity into a grave situation, and how floored that made them feel. And like a huge okay, this is the bigger world, and there's some really serious shit out well, there. Well, and it had long-term impact. Both of them can't sleep for a while. They're in constant fear that they're going to be found out and killed. Tom Sawyer goes through nightmares and inability to sleep. It's a great narrative turn in also the sense of growing up and becoming... Yeah. And a good warning. Or there's like something to think about. Crassly bringing frivolity to a grave situation and the trouble that that can get you. Yeah. Which is what they're doing. They're, the reason they're there is for a dumb superstition, and they witness a murder. And, like, obviously that helps <laughs> for the plot, but just, at, at again, at the level of representation, like, thinking about how if you're going to the grave situations in life, not unhumorously or unself-reflectively, I don't know, like, with some self-aware ironism to it still, but with out screaming right without still still bringing whatever it is for any individual person an appropriate amount of reverence to that is crucial if if not for you for also other people who are mourning like i someone who tells me to be quiet in like a bus you know whatever get get over it but you know mourning a loved one who's lost yeah that's a deep human experience that i would be respectful of and have and bring that reverence to right yeah no i i like that and i think it also shows that there's a time for different uh modes of interacting with life and some people struggle with this right they're they're they try, they're kind of always the same and so they don't even go into situations where they would have to act differently because that's how they're comfortable acting but it's important to to go into different situations and find the prop not the proper not the but there are certain very fundamental human experiences that require certain sociological responses on a psychological level if you're you know with your family and your mom has just died you're not going to be cracking jokes all the time and and doing something like that but also if you're you know at a comedy show and you're just bitter and grumpy, again, you're not going to fit in because people are trying to feel something corporately in this moment. And the corp- the desire to feel something corporately is a tribalistic and an incredibly important part of our evolution. And if you're not willing to engage with that because you think it's stupid or this isn't how people should be, you're going to be ostracized. And that's just going to be the reality. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like this, this isn't anything that happens in the book. It just made me think about that. Yeah, no, I I like that. That's a good thought. There's a great line early in the book. To make someone covet something, just make it difficult to attain. 
Oh, how true is that? There's so many. This is why I love Mark Twain. There's so many pithy little comments where you're like, yes, that is so true. Uh, there's another one. I, you may bring it up later about uh, w- once you're able to be drunk and do whatever you want and smoke, you don't desire it the same way anymore because yes, it was the it was the danger of it. The, yeah, there's no there's no rebellion or transgressiveness when it's just you can do it whenever you want. Well, there's actually a Fitzgerald quote that I absolutely love from this side of paradise where he says, "I didn't want my innocence back. I wanted the pleasure of losing it again." Right? <laughs> and it's just this this idea that that in changing and and becoming grown up you you realize the world's a certain way but there's a pleasure in that realization as well yeah there's a hilarious scene where the town thinks the boys have died yes because they were another quintessential part of the mark twain scene yeah well so they were off on an island pretending to be pirates and i think there was like a like a flood of the river or something and so or they were, they'd been gone for a while, and people had seen them board this ship. And... That had sunk, so they were assumed to be drowned. So they actually have a funeral for them, but Tom actually is in attendance at his own funeral. Well, walks up the <laughs> aisle with Huck yeah. and uh, the other boy that he's with that we can't remember his name. I think it's Joe. Yeah. And they're all walking up the aisle, and everyone's... And, but they get to hear their own eulogies, <laughs> right? <laughs> they were they were pretty pumped up Which about it. Which is funny. And well, so... then actually, Mar- or, sorry, um, Tom's like, well, why isn't anyone saying anything about Huck? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and, but the question that came to mind was like, well, what would people say about us if they thought we were gone, uh, right? Like, well, what do you think they'd say about you, Luke? Um, this seems like dangerous territory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, maybe, the, maybe, maybe you want to go more into the eulogy virtues versus Yeah, the, well, that, uh, was the, yeah. that was what I thought about, that David Brooks, I believe it was maybe originally an article he wrote that expanded into a book. Um, about this Rhodes character where he contrasts eulogy versus resume virtues. I think we've talked about this before, but again, it's just quickly the idea of like resume virtues are things that look good on a job. <laughs> when you're applying for a job, eulogy virtues are part of the joke being a resume virtue would fall pretty flat if said in a eulogy. <laughs> he was right? the best accountant. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> or um, he was really, really good at Excel spreadsheets. Uh, he, the, the punctuality of his and um never complained about <laughs> getting all of his tps reports in on time or something like <laughs> yeah like that. right nobody wants to hear about that you're you well because the things you put in a resume and a cover letter are the most polished versions of the things that you mostly do well well and the things that you, that you think your employer wants too right yeah, yeah. you're not There's, gonna write about how a, you have a, a great pog collection it's a bit of a dance yeah right it's a bit of a employee employer dance that you are kind of wooing, right? And so it's kind of like dating. You don't, <laughs> you don't on your dating profile have a picture of, <laughs> you know, you take your a room dump. that you haven't cleaned in like yeah, three weeks yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you know what things to project about yourself to make someone interested. But I think that those again are not as opposed to things in a eulogy where you want to hear things like he was really kind or she was um, there for. Uh, her parents when they needed her yeah, when they got older kind of like just these things that are much more character based yeah i don't know i don't really want to play the game of yeah what I think I, people it's, will it's say about probably me when just I'm a gone. too egotistical of a game i too. think like right now i think probably people who know me the best would say things like kind funny thoughtful but probably also things like 
sometimes a little dismissive or accidentally a little too judgy. I don't know, right? Like <laughs> yeah, they, it yeah. wouldn't just be. But I don't think like people say that in eulogies. I don't think they like outline the things they kind of. <laughs> that would like be so <laughs> funny to have just a eulogy <laughs> ripping like, on all of the reality, negative character right? traits of someone. Yeah, <laughs> maybe my eulogy will be a roast. That would be fun. <laughs> Actually, I saw on Netflix they have historical roasts right now. Like they roast characters in history. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so I haven't well, watched it yet. But... That would be fun to watch. Um. So yeah, that that was cool. Like if you haven't read. The Road to Character by David Brooks, I highly recommend it. He kind of talks, he gives a bunch of different people in history and their stories uh, and the character they showed, and it's a really great book. So I also noticed one cool thing that Tom does is he uses art to get Becky to pay him more attention. Like he draws something on the slate. It's like a work of art to make her more interested in him right? also like and i was like okay <laughs> it put put that in a picture uh, throw that on the wall of every young man's attempt <laughs> whether it's playing make, music to, or yeah to yeah, get sure. a girlfriend Poetry, oh. or or of any partner romantically any young person trying to woo someone you do art for beauty but also to get laid <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i mean the fundamental human biological drive and, and, right and like i don't i i know i say that very you know off the cuff but or tongue-in-cheek but you know there's truth in that like i think you understand the joke when someone says oh i learned guitar so i could get a girlfriend yeah oh for sure <laughs> like it's not sure. like oh what why would you yeah oh, you shouldn't have done stupid. that you should have gone you should have like started a stamp collection or something yeah yeah that's that's the ideal yeah come see my stamp collection yeah right so yeah i just thought that that was kind of funny that that was part there's a perennialness well and almost like creation being an attractive feature in some and digging into that like of course because like art is an expression of your soul right it's it's literally an attempt to say things that are unsayable emotion to convey emotion at the rawest level you can i mean at least that's what i believe art is and i mean even if we're going back to tom sawyer what mark twain did with it it is an expression uh, in my opinion of how he viewed childhood and the and many of the thoughts that he had and the the glory glorious victories and the and the horrifying defeats of being a regular kid and the art that he produces he reminds us of those emotions yeah yeah, no, it's great. And it, it, again, it's because it's Mark Twain, it's so funny. Like the way it's written is so funny. But yeah, Tom Tom knows the way. But like you said, he captured in that moment what so many boys and girls have done for generations, which is trying to woo Eons. people. Eons. <laughs> you know? There's probably like Neanderthals painted on the wall being like, oh, look, I can draw a really good deer. <laughs> well, I mean, and like not even just humans, birds of paradise. I remember on that planet Earth with the bird of paradise and its fancy dance and its beautiful colors and oh, or peacocks. The beauty to put on display to show that we are, <laughs> to put it most crudely, someone worth mating with. Yeah, well, exactly, <laughs> right? like, exactly. No, our genes are good. You <laughs> yeah, should help yeah. me get them into the next generation. <laughs> so uh, that, was, that was cool in the book. And there's a really funny line too the other boys agreed that there was a reason to what tom said because an ignorant lump of bread uninstructed by an incantation could not be expected to act very intelligently when sent upon an errand of such gravity 
<laughs> and they're talking about communion. Yes, yes. Right? <laughs> and they were discussing about how, like, why the bread works or, like, what changes. And Tom says, well, it's because they say something about it. You know, it, this is, like, a great part of their, like, little superstitions about why why the things in the world are the way that they are, right? And I think they're talking about how why the bread in communion does anything. He's like, well, because they say something about it. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, that makes sense. Oh, yes, because right. unincantated <laughs> bread can't do anything. <laughs> no, it's not important. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and But it's like, more deeply, this is such a hilarious but pointed example of how kids make sense of the world. And make sense of the customs that they're a part of. You know, you listen to kids give explanations for anything. Why the sun moves or like why just things in nature especially right and this struck me as a particularly funny oh one. and the book is full of stuff like this you see it in uh them talking about so so huck, there's a, a couple of chapters where huck and tom are looking for treasure they go treasure hunting and it becomes a whole star- story arc but they're like well of course the treasure is going to be hidden in a haunted house like that makes utter sense it's like it's almost like a dogma like you can't question these things and tom has all of these little dogmas he's like well when the branch when the shadow of the branch hitches the hits the the certain log this way that's where you have to dig and they dig there and they don't find anything and they go to the haunted house and they don't find anything but these dogmas are still like and i remember growing up it's just like there's things you just assumed about the world and i think people in general do this is just how it is yeah Tom Sawyer's mind is a roadmap to adventure. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. that's the entirety of his, the way his brain works is, you can't really tell if he's thought about it before, if he's making up as he goes, but it doesn't matter because it's so funny. He gives these absurd rationales for things, but there's not like there's a better reason to go do something That's else, That's true. You know? I hadn't thought of that. You really don't know whether he actually knows <laughs> this is a thing or not. You're yeah. just like... But it's like, okay, maybe the shadow falling on the tree at this angle isn't the best reason, but I don't have a reason, so fuck it. Let's, let's go with that. You know, and it's like, oh, well then, that took some creativity <laughs> to yeah, think of yeah, it like that. Yeah. And, and then, and again, I think creativity in itself is such an appealing characteristic. Well, and he's also just so imaginative. Uh, I think that's one of my favorite things about him. Like, him and his friends go off and try pretend to be pirates for a while. And I, I have lived that. I remember... When, when the new Star Wars movies are coming out, the which, you know, critics don't like as much. But, but you know, you're a little kid and you love sword fights and, you know, bad guys and all this stuff. You're talking stuff. about the prequel trilogy. The prequels, yes, the prequels. Ah, yes. And so I would go into the forest with my brother and <laughs> Those my... Those that shall not be named. <laughs> Those that shall not be named. But, like, I'd go into the forest with my friends and pretend to be, like, a Jedi or a Sith Lord and they would be the Jedis. And, and I'd yeah. make whole stories up, right? And it's just such a wonderful way to live in this... Where you can just imagine things yeah. and just enjoy. It, it's so it's ca- that aspect of childhood is captured so well in this book. Yeah, that's what like, that's what maybe I'm saying. Like better than any book in the history of that I know of. Anyway, it's better than any book I've read. The reality of it. There's great books like Narnia where you know it becomes real, or The Hobbit where it's an adventure. But the actual way that a child interacts with the world in a in a real way, but completely imagined sort of way. Uh, there's that scene where he he throws the marble into the forest and then he can't find it and so he goes back and starts throwing things feeling like the exact way he threw it to try to go find it again <laughs> it just things like that where it's like yeah. that's such a that's such a kid experience to have the only way to go find this lost marble is to go lose more things in that area <laughs> and then and eventually then... I'll find it <laughs> 
<laughs> like there's a weird rationale there, yeah, isn't there? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's done so well. I want to give a few quotes to get your thoughts on them because I thought there were some really great quotes in this book. This one doesn't maybe take a lot of thought, but but all trials bring their compensations. Oh, right? and, and actually like, yeah. You can get value from any encounter. And the harder things are, sometimes the better they are. Like yeah. you can actually... Like, the greater the struggle, the bigger the triumph type <laughs> yeah, thing. But like also how you react to these things, right? And then one of the things I love about Tom Sawyer is he seems to always be learning lessons from his hardships. And he doesn't ever just completely become defeated in this pool of of depression or, or or just like I can't do it. I'm like when he's stuck in the cave with Becky, right? And she's given up, right? She's like and and understandably, like there's probably no way to find a way out. But Tom Sawyer's like, you know what? And he understands that. And it's very clear that they're probably not gonna get out, but he's like, but I'm gonna try. And he does and succeeds and that's so Tom Sawyer is this this whole idea. He's been he goes through so many things because he does so many things, right? Like he's he puts himself out there. Maybe that's the best way of describing him is he's a guy who just tries stuff. Yeah. And we see these people he's in like our life. He's like a life scientist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's just yes. doing experiments all the time. Yes, exactly. I believe our our glorious prime minister Justin Trudeau once said all children are scientists. <laughs> <laughs> This podcast is bipartisan and has no political affiliation whatsoever. None at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's just some good lines about, again, digging with a satiric bite at a lot of the like hypocrisies of the adults that are around in this story. This is about Aunt Polly. Then her conscience reproached her, and she yearned to say something kind and loving, but she judged that this would be construed as a confession that she had been in the wrong, and discipline forbade that. So I can't remember exactly what happens, but Aunt Polly does something to Tom that maybe is a little bit like the punishment is greater than the crime type of thing. And she feels bad and wants to say sorry, but she has to maintain the I'm the authority figure and you're the kid. And if I apologize in any way, it's a, it clearly admits that I did something wrong and that can't be the case. Which I think Which like, is so sad. Yeah, but it's all, I think it was much more prevalent than to... Although, I mean, I I don't have any children right now, so I don't know what, what it's Yeah, but like. I, I, I don't just mean, like, obviously the adult-child relationship is the paradigm one of authority, but I just also think about how this is just a tragic fact of the human condition that there are people who won't apologize, even if they mean it in their hearts, because they're actually concerned about how that appears. Like, maybe I'm sorry about how I made you feel, but I still need that ego thing of actually having been right. And then if I'm wrong about this, maybe I could be wrong about other things and then my identity crumbles kind of thing. That seems like tragedy to me if people hold on to those kind of things. Yeah, it's really like uh, having your locus of control outside of yourself, right? Because if Aunt Polly was unconcerned about how, let's say, Tom Sawyer perceived her apology but realized it was the right thing to do, then she would have done it. But she was worried that it wouldn't be the proper way of raising him or whatever it might be. And I think radical honesty in these things, radical honesty about personal failings is, is a, an incredibly freeing way to live. Because if you're just like, this is who I am. In Game of Thrones, Tyrion says it becomes your breastplate. Yeah. If, yeah. You, if you admit it to the world first. Exactly. Like, this is something that I always find fascinating. Uh, I've been watching the show Billions 
uh, a little bit. And people are always using secrets that other people are hiding as blackmail against them. Well, how is someone going to blackmail you if you're just really honest about your flaws? They can't. But it's because people are so desirous of having a certain perception of themselves out there in the world, a certain delusion or a certain... They're projecting a non-reality. House of Cards type of reality I'm thinking of a word. What's that one in Star Wars where they pop up? A hologram. A hologram of themselves in the world, which is not the real self, but is a curated version of themselves. But that's not who they are. And there's great weakness in it. There's great weakness. And one of the things I like about Tom Sawyer is he, he does not give a fuck. <laughs> no, there's not a lot of not a lot of projection out there. Like, yeah, yeah. maybe he lies. There there are moments where he lies, but he's he's the he's paragon very of authentic. He's like, the paragon of authenticity. He is he's very much himself all the time. And actually that's kind of what Aunt Polly loves about him. Yeah. Like even and, though <laughs> And the deep, she can't admit it. No, yeah. No, because <laughs> she, she knows it's the thing that she's supposed to not like about <laughs> yeah, him. But she's like, ah, oh, he's so Tom Sawyer. But this is what I'm just a reflection about. Creativity, humor, mischievousness, deviance, if all done in a creative and clever and good natured, non mean spirited way, is unbelievably endearing. Yes. Oh yeah. And well, look at, look at Han Solo. Yeah. Is, a, is kind of the quintessential Star Wars character. Or uh, if we think about Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I never made that connection before. Han Solo is a little bit like oh, Tom oh, Sawyer. Oh, for sure. He's yeah, like a grown-up yeah, yeah. Tom Sawyer. He's a, he's a little bit more jaded than but Tom But I think is. you, like, adult, well, yeah. like, grown-ups become more yeah. jaded, yeah. But, and, and sorry, you're making another connection to Lord of the Rings? Well, I was trying to think of who it would be in Lord of the Rings that would be that, and I don't have a as the free, clear... The freest spirit? Yeah. I mean, probably Mary. Probably Merry and yeah, Pippin. Merry and Pippin would for sure be. <laughs> but one of the things about Lord... Just going back to Lord of the Rings, but that parallels to Tom... That doesn't parallel to Tom Sawyer is it's so serious. Whereas Tom Sawyer's got that comedy, like you said... How many really good belly laughs have you had with your best friends or your family <laughs> that have bonded you yeah. over something that, you know, probably only is funny to you, you had to be there. But that's the the stuff of life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's just good meditation on if your conscience is pricking at you to do something like apologize or make amends in some way with a person, but you're feeling in dissonance with something else like that, pay attention to that. Because that could be something really ne- negative psychologically, I think. Like, don't let the outside world fuck with you like that, basically. Y- yeah, I mean, or if it is, ask yourself why. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, I don't want to say, do this, don't do this. But I think Aunt Polly is missing out on developing a relationship with Tom because of her social hangups. Right? Yeah, agreed, agreed. This one was really funny. You will find that the sermon of the most frivolous and the least religious girl in the school is always the longest and most relentlessly pious. But enough of this. Homely truth is unpalatable. (laughs) It's true. Thou shalt. Thou shalt not. Okay. (laughs) Right. Like, just, I'm not even, I don't even have much to say about that. I think I just like how that makes me feel. Come on. You, you, you don't mean any of these things that you're saying. You're just posturing, whatever. Like anyone, when you spot a phony who's sanctimonious in some way, who is really good at seeing the things in others and has no time for the things in themselves, 
that's unpalatable. Aren't the phonies often, though, the most sanctimonious? Because they have to tell them even themselves lies. There's more to cover for. Yeah, that's what I mean. They have to tell themselves lies about how they live or who they are because, I mean, the truly, let's say, they're truly pious people are actually the ones who are constantly looking at themselves and saying, am I living up to these things that I believe? Am I being the best person I can be? They're not really wandering around judging other people. I mean, I even think of this from from my own growing up. There's a time in David Parker's growing up life where he thought he was pretty much better than everybody else. And, you know, I think that's a youthful arrogance. But that's not piousness. But But in that growing up and thinking that he was better than everyone else. He was certainly willing to tell anyone who would listen how they were wrong. And we don't see that in Tom Sawyer. We don't see that. He's not sitting around telling everyone what they're doing wrong in life. He's too busy living. Exactly. And I love that about him. Action. Doing things. Not restricting himself. The world is a great playground. Let's go play. And actually, you see that that really works very well for him. He ends up having a really good potential future we don't know what happens to his future really but because he's always like well let's just go out and have an adventure Mm -hmm. i love that mentality yeah yeah he's got no time to lecture yeah no (laughs) he's too busy experiencing exactly yeah yeah so just before we kind of wrap up finishing thoughts i wanted to share a few things that i noticed that are like just things where it's like ugh, i didn't like that the way that the feeling struck me upon reading it there's a scene where aunt polly has glasses but she has perfect vision but they're just for style not for function and this is just one of my pet peeves in life where it's like (laughs) right you're like why um, are you doing that if you don't again we referenced it a little bit like her desire to look good at the cost of function i mean it's a very small cost with glasses it's not like it's hard to wear glasses if you don't need them but she's doing it as an affectation to look good to some mystery stranger out there in the world i don't know and i just i'm a very function versus make luke look better type of person right like i i choose i don't know i just i would never buy a piece of clothing because i thought it would make me look better as opposed to comfort and i do buy like shirts at concerts uh or video games or star wars to put up kind of like a cultural flag to potentially have someone else say, oh, I like your shirt. I love Zelda as well. <laughs> you know, I like start <laughs> yeah, a conversation. Yeah. And so, I, you know what? Maybe I just wasn't born with a brain that... Paid care, attention to those things. Pays attention to that kind of stuff. So trying not to be too judgmental, I guess, to people born with brains like that. But Aunt Polly wearing glasses just for style. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Get over well, and that's a lot. Get of, over yourself, that's a lot Aunt of Aunt Polly. Polly. Like Aunt Polly, <laughs> she's so sincere. Why about wouldn't you put that I effort think? into developing your own character or intelligence instead of effort into propping up your facade? That's just my thought. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Sorry. Also, we haven't. Tom has a younger brother named Sid. Well, uh, or is it older brother? Cousin. Cousin. Sorry. Uh, it's Aunt Polly's son. Right. Okay. Sid, Sid is cousin. Yeah. You know who he reminded me of? So he's a tattler, right? He's always the one telling on Tom to get him in trouble. He, he remi- really doesn't like Tom. No. He reminded me of Randall from Recess. 
<laughs> yeah. Do you remember Randall? Yes, I do. The the, uh, the one who was the teacher's pet. He was always like the telling on all the kids. Later to... days. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, yeah. Yes, I remember. So oh, it, I loved that show. Yeah, he was the he was the Randall. So little nineties nineties kids. Nineties Canadian. <laughs> Is it Canadian? No. I, well, I was on ytv i think or teletoon i can't yeah. remember which, but i don't think it was a canadian hopefully show, you it? guys all know what recess is or if you haven't watched recess <laughs> it's probably on youtube you, now <laughs> you didn't grow up at the same time as <laughs> yeah. we did though, because it was all over the place of the recess kids which one would you say you were the most like because i was definitely a tj oh man and so was tom tom would have been a tj tom totally would have been TJ a tj would have, yeah who's that scrappy little girl who Oh, Spinelli? <laughs> no, no, not Spinelli. You think you were Spinelli? Not, wait, not the not the one with the glasses. What was her name? The one with the glasses was Gretchen. No, no. I I think it would have been a Spinelli. <laughs> okay, yeah, I was like right. kind of like all right. Had a very high opinion of my own strength and, <laughs> and virtue, and and you and, were and just angry at the world. And angry at the world. Yeah, there was an element. Fair <laughs> enough. A more broad thought about this is that the way that it's portrayed, and I think it's true, is that society is a kind of a tyranny. For wild and free hearts like Huck and Tom, especially, where they're always basically having to subvert some sort of, if not law, social norm of where they are. Because the social norms, especially of a puritanical society as it was, was very much repress the deviance because, I guess, deviance is... Shun the (laughs) non-believer. Just something perceived as ungodly in that culture. But, I mean forget about just that time and place like there's always a dynamic tension between the group and the individual right and figuring out how to i'm i always err on the side of freedom and letting individuals go be themselves and do their things and make things that are great for the world because you can't get that you can't get pieces of art or innovations or ideas that are great for the world, unless you're willing to put up with some eccentric types. <laughs> and, you know, some of them won't accomplish anything. And might they, actually be a detriment. Yeah, it could be a detriment, but the freedom is more important because I just think who wants to live in a world where you where you can't be a Tom Sawyer? And, I mean, imagine what Tom would have been like for Tom if every single second he was getting a boot pushed on him and some way he wouldn't have been able to like self-actualize in any way and he wouldn't have been able to bring all that joy to all of the other people that he brought joy to that's the hidden loss if you if you your society your group even your own psyche has this kind of desire to suppress creativity free spirits the hidden cost to that is the joy taken away from so many other people in the world who will love what they do. Well, and as I said earlier, Tom Sawyer is a leader type within this novel and as a character. He gets people who would normally not do these things to do these things and enjoy life in ways and have memories. I have a Tom Sawyer-like friend. I think I've actually mentioned before in the podcast, but we would just, he would get us to do crazy things. One weekend, we built a raft and rafted down the North Saskatchewan River for 18 hours through the night. And it was very cold and we didn't have any sweaters or anything. But like, it's people like that who lead you into adventures. That memory is going to be with me till the day I die. I'm not going to remember every time I followed every rule to get where I am. Yeah. It's those great memories of adventure. It's the adventuresome type that, that build these amazing memories into people's lives. Is it not 
Mark Twain, who said, in 20 years, you'll regret the things you didn't do much more than the things you did. I think, I think it was him. Treasure. So, yeah, so in my rereading uh, of this, because it had been read to me long ago, and then I reread it for this podcast, I completely forgot that the end of it is Tom Sawyer being rich and getting, you know, basically... Uh, Becky's dad wants him to marry her eventually, and like he has a plans for remarkable child's advancement. But like, what's remarkable about Tom in the in the treasure hunting thing? And I think it's three things. I think the first thing is friendship. He has never does any of these things really alone. The great adventures that that Tom goes on are with his friends, and like he gets Huck to go and get the treasure with him in the cave. Just, just go find it because it's probably there, right? And they get it and they both become wealthy. But it's interesting how Tom interacts with the money as opposed to how Huck interacts with the money. Huck doesn't like it. He's like, this isn't who I am. I don't like having to dress up and go to school and go to church. And he's like, I want to be free. And Tom's like kind of loving it. And he's like, he says to Huck, well, then you don't have to. He gets Huck. And it's not that horrible way of like trying to manipulate someone like Huck to say, well, you go give me your money and I'll take care of it for you. He's just like, well, then no, don't don't worry about it. Like, and so friendship is the first, but the second is this desire for it's not ambition, it's desire for more for to to fully experience life. Because he's not on these treasure hunts because he wants to be rich. He's on this treasure Not hunt at all. because he loves the idea of finding something, striving to achieve something. And I think a lot of us in life lose that desire to strive and achieve these things. That Tom Sawyer is a great example to remember that child in all of us who was like who had dreams. Huck and Tom don't stop dreaming. They end up in different places. But they don't stop dreaming. They still love doing things. But the third thing I would say is look for the opportunities in life. That's what I like. Tom, he remembers the information that is presented to him, processes it, and says there's an opportunity here. And he does that with a lot of things, whether it's I'm going to take the punishment for Becky. There's an opportunity here to be the kind of man I want to be, but also to show her what kind of man I am when he sees that Injun Joe has died in the cave, he's like, well, there's an opportunity here to go and see if the treasure's still there, right? I love that he's constantly thinking about that and painting the fence. Yeah. There's an opportunity here. Yeah. Look for those opportunities. Yeah, he's got a total entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, and I love it. I, I adore it. Yeah, I really love all three of those insights to Tom. And they dovetail. So, like, my final quote was actually about treasure hunting. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe not a surprise, but it dovetails perfectly. That was really well said. Uh, so, my last great quote from the book that I wanted to read is, There comes a time in every rightly constructed boy's life when he has a raging desire to go somewhere and dig for hidden treasure. I was like, that's the archetype of the book. And that's the archetype of Tom. Is <laughs> that expansive outward lookingness that you're referencing while bringing other people with him to do it as well. So I have a final thought about Tom as well. What it is about him that struck me so deeply 
uh, Tom is generally guided by his conscience rather than authority. So he doesn't want Aunt Polly to mourn him so that he feels bad when at his funeral and he sees his aunt is really sad that he's gone. That strikes at him. It's not because anyone once said, hey, you made your Aunt Polly feel bad. You should feel about that. It's his own conscience that does that to him. He feels sorrow for Muff Potter, who I believe is the person mistakenly said to have done the murder because he knows that that's not true. So it's unjust that he's in jail. No one is saying to him, hey, you know this. You have to go do it. I mean, Huck talks to him as a friend, but no one in an authority manner says, hey, you have to do this. And he feels bad about some of the things he did to Becky <laughs> to make her sad. So I find him the ideal person because He's the person who, when left to their own devices, does the right thing. And the... What, I, what do you do when no one is watching? Yeah. Like that's, he's guided by conscience, um, not fear, not authority, not rule, not law, not expectation, not... He's just... He's a person purely guided by conscience. He's excited for the world, but he's to me he's the ideal person because he's he laughs at people when they tell him what to do but he has enough vibrancy in his own ethical constitution where he can understand other people's hurts and sadnesses and pains and what he can do to help alleviate those and if he's responsible he needs to apologize but not because he's told to but because he knows he should now how does this kind of person come about? I don't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, that's a hard question. Growth, education, openness, learning. These things all help, but we're not going to answer this now. But are Tom Sawyer's made or born? You know, like, well, this is a question that's been asked for a long time. I think the best that can be done in that regard is when you see that free spiritedness in people, be part of the, be the group of people that help water it instead of stamp it out yeah and no, i think that's a great insight that's why i appreciate tom so much is because he's he's ethical even when no one is telling him to yeah <laughs> which yeah. is essentially what ethics is i guess <laughs> but well, hopefully <laughs> but it's a great portrayal by twain of a deeply ethical person because they are doing it of their own volition basically entirely anyway that was Tom Sawyer. I realize books are harder to read than movies are to watch to if you wanted to prepare for a podcast, but I just there are so many great books that need to be talked about too. So we are going to We're going to keep we, talking about books. We're going to keep talking about books <laughs> as well. And actually, I this just struck me now. You know who especially with the treasure hunting, Tom Sawyer reminds me so much of Calvin. Yeah, yeah, an older Calvin, yeah, uh, a kind of more grown-up Calvin, yeah. Which will probably also be a future podcast episode. For sure. (laughs) Anyway, um, this has been another episode of Really True Fiction. But I just want to thank our listeners for spending this time with us, going on these journeys, and I hope that you're looking out for adventure like Tom Sawyer was. Yeah, I mean, this is honestly, even if no one is listening... (laughs) This is basically just... At the very least, our ants will be. (laughs) (laughs) This is, yeah. This is therapy for us to just regurgitate out all of our thoughts about things that we really care about. So if anyone is listening, we really, really appreciate it. And we value your time. And the fact that you would give any of it to us is very flooring. So thank you. So anyway, I'm Luke Mason. And I'm David Parker. And we'll see you next time. 